When all is said and done, who is dependent upon whom? Are Yosef's brothers dependent upon him, the master, the lord, the ruler, the viceroy? Or is he perhaps dependent upon them, yearning for their acceptance, desiring their closeness? Welcome to Bible 365, Episode 74, Bones of Joseph, a movie and the meaning of the Exodus. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. As my friends, and I think listeners to this podcast, know by now, I have a special affection for the Cecil B. DeMille movie, The Ten Commandments. And one of the scenes that always struck me occurs during the Exodus, as a small Israelite child and his grandfather survey the scene. And suddenly the child says, Aaron and the elders carry a shrouded body, grandfather. And the elderly gentleman replies, they bear the bones of Joseph to rest in his own land. And then the elders sing a song as they carry Joseph. And it goes something like this. Jacob cherished his son Joseph. Many colors was his coat. All his brothers hated Joseph. Into bondage he was sold. So they sang. Joseph was indeed taken out of Egypt by his brethren. The man mummified by the Egyptians was brought to be buried in the Holy Land. This was a fulfillment of the oath that Joseph had made his brother swear before he died, giving us the dramatic conclusion of the book of Genesis. And Joseph said to his brothers, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Thus ends the first book of the Bible. There in Egypt, Joseph lies, embalmed like a pharaoh. But that is not Joseph's aspiration. He wishes to lie in the sacred soil of the land of Israel. And with the exodus, the oath began to be fulfilled. But there is an inaccuracy in DeMille's depiction, and understanding why is essential to comprehending the exquisite ending of the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua comes to a close as follows. Chapter 24, verse 29. And it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnat Serach, which is in Mount Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, and who had known all the deeds of the Lord that he had done for Israel. And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, they buried in Shechem, in a section of the ground which Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred kesita. And they became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Elazar the son of Aaron died, and they buried him in the hill of Phinehas' son, which was given him in Mount Ephraim. Thus the book comes to a conclusion. The text tells us about Joshua's passing and also of that of Elazar. In other words, the successors of both Moses and Aaron pass away, so that the generation has truly come to an end. But why make mention in the final verses of the burial of Joseph in Shechem? Why is this important to the tale of Joshua's book? Let us consider what we know about Joseph from previous passages. As many note, there is a certain symmetry to the fact that it is in Shechem that Joseph is buried, because there 
he had uttered a heartbreaking sentence at the outset of his story. After Joseph experienced his mysterious dreams, which inspired hatred among his brothers, we are told in Genesis that Jacob sent Joseph to find his brothers who were tending the sheep to see if they were well. Genesis 37:14, And he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brothers. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dotan. Joseph then finds his brothers in Dotan, where they seize him and sell him. But it was in Shechem that he plaintively uttered the words, I seek my brothers, which can be read not only as a prosaic statement, but also an existential expression. He seeks union with his brothers. He seeks healing after the hatred. Of course, it was not initially to be. And what follows is a terrible rupture. Now, at the end of Joshua, the bones of Joseph have been brought back to this very same spot. A closing of the circle takes place. And there may be even more here than meets the eye. According to Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik, the enslavement of Israel in Egypt was in no way guaranteed. The Almighty had told Abraham that his children would be strangers in a land that was not theirs. But God had never explicitly stated that it would be in Egypt where this exile would take place. It is possible, Rabbi Soloveitchik argued, that this prophecy that Abraham heard could have been fulfilled in some other less terrible way. Thus, the sufferings of Egypt came about, according to Rabbi Soloveitchik, in part because of the crime of the sale of Joseph. Based on Rabbi Soloveitchik's approach, one can suggest that the burial of Joseph brings the book of Joshua to its close because, in its own way, this brings the entire Egypt and Exodus episode to a close. But there is much more to say here, and in order to understand why, we must return to DeMille. The burying of Joseph's body is done in the film with great solemnity. Even during the scene of the splitting of the sea, when all Israel flees the approaching Egyptians with great fear, those elders carrying Joseph continue calmly, their chanting unabated. DeMille clearly understood how important it was. The book titled Written in Stone, which features accounts from those who worked on the Ten Commandments movie, contains a story from Johnny Jensen, who sketched the scenes of the film delivering them to Henry Wilcox, another member of DeMille's team. He says, quote, When it came time to shoot the Red Sea crossing, I delivered to Henry Wilcox the sketches and watercolors I'd made of the scene. Okay, Johnny, he said, let's clean this up. What do you mean, I wanted to know? We can't have a litter bearer stubbing his toe on a rock as he carries the bones of Joseph out of Egypt. This is a sacred subject. It's possible. It's realistic. I'm sure lots of people stubbed their toes crossing the Red Sea. I'm sure they did. I already have twice today, but Mr. DeMille might think you're poking fun right now. So, he concludes, I changed the drawing and handed it in, and Mr. DeMille was none the wiser, but to this day, I think he would have liked the idea, end quote. And so the scene is taken very seriously. And yet, so sacred was the task of carrying Joseph that it was overseen from the get-go, according to the Bible, by one man, something that one would never know from watching DeMille's film. Who actually took Joseph's bones from Egypt? Contra the movie was not the elders with Aaron. The Bible in Exodus tells us as follows, chapter 13, verse 19. 
And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had laid an oath on the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall bring up my bones away from here with you. Thus it was Moses that brought up the bones of Joseph from Egypt. It was Moses on behalf of Israel that fulfilled the oath that Joseph had made his brothers swear so many years before. Thus, the book of Joshua, by concluding with the burial of Joseph, is saying that now Joshua has truly fulfilled all that which Moses had originally undertaken, all that Moses, his teacher, had himself intended to do. Cross the Jordan, conquer the Holy Land, divide the territory amongst the Israelites, and ensure that Joseph is buried. It is true, of course, that Joshua was a descendant of Joseph, but Moses definitely was not. Why, then, was it Moses who initially took Joseph's bones? Doesn't the leader of Israel have enough on his mind at the moment of the Exodus? Wouldn't it have made more sense for Moses to delegate, to give the task to, say, the Josephite tribes? In answering this question, we must return to the tale of the brothers in Genesis. When Joseph forgives his brothers, revealing his identity to them, he is totally prepared for reconciliation. But his brothers are terrified. They need his forgiveness. They need Joseph to provide food for their family during the famine that is suffusing the world. But given all that has passed, given all that they have done to him, they cannot feel close to him. This point was made in a stunning speech about Joseph, delivered by Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein. Rabbi Lichtenstein's talk is long and layered, and I cannot fully do it justice here. But we have sent you the link to it, and it is well worth your time. But I will cite several passages. Rabbi Lichtenstein writes, describing the moment when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Quote, At this moment, it becomes clear to Yosef the terrible price he has paid for his success, for his integration into Egyptian culture, for all of his restraint. Yosef stands alone. Even once he has decided to emerge from his isolation, to put an end to his alienation, those around him remain alienated from him. It is only now that Yosef discovers what he has sacrificed in exchange for the power that he has accumulated for being the ruler over all of Egypt, for presuming to be the one to feed, nourish, command, and sustain, end quote. So Rabbi Lichtenstein writes, and the point is profound. In a real relationship, the different parties rely on one another. Here, the brothers rely on Joseph, but not the reverse, and they remain afraid of him. Later, when Jacob dies and the brothers attempt to ensure that Joseph will not now exact revenge, Joseph weeps, saddened by the fact that his brothers still think that he harbors thoughts of vengeance in his heart. Rabbi Lichtenstein describes, again, the source of Joseph's sobs. Quote, It is clear why Yosef cries. What more could he have done for them in order to gain their faith, their affection, and their trust? Yosef has removed his mask. He has returned to his roots. He has revealed himself, wept aloud, brought together the torn shreds of their fraternity. What else can he do? Despite all of this, Yosef's brothers continue to regard him with suspicion and fear that he will take revenge. At this moment, Rabbi Lichtenstein continues, Yosef discovers the limits of raw power. He discovers the extent to which the human connection, the personal connection, the family connection, hold far more value and importance than does power, both for the person himself and for all those around him. Ultimately, power finds expression in dependence. When all is said and done, who is dependent upon whom? Are Yosef's brothers dependent upon him, the master, the lord, the ruler, the viceroy? Or is he perhaps dependent upon them 
yearning for their acceptance, desiring their closeness. End quote. Joseph, in other words, forgives an unspeakable crime against him committed by his brothers, and yet the tragedy of Joseph's life is that true familial unity is not achieved. This is the reason, Rabbi Lichtenstein argues, why Joseph, as he dies, feels forced to make his brethren swear an oath to bear his body out of Egypt. Rabbi Lichtenstein writes, quote, Who will bring up the bones of the brothers to the land of Israel? The text, it seems, has no need to address this question. Someone will take care of it. However, there is no one who will willingly, of his own initiative, bring up the bones of Yosef. He must bind his brothers by an oath. End quote. In other words, Yosef knows that his brothers will be brought out of Egypt, but he needs to make his brethren swear that he too will come with them. Rupture remains. But then, ladies and gentlemen, the exodus occurs, and at that moment, there is a leader in Israel, Moses, who understands what Joseph had been truly seeking. Moses is the one who wishes to heal the breach. Originally, Joseph could not depend on his brothers. He had to make them swear. But now Moses himself takes on a task that he could so easily have given to another, showing that he embraces Joseph on behalf of all Israel. Rabbi Lichtenstein put it this way, quote, When will the shreds be made whole? Only a few hundred years later, with someone who appears on the stage of Jewish history as an infant crying in a basket among the bulrushes. It is he who seeks the bones of Yosef and, in the midst of the exodus, takes the trouble to bring them up for burial in Israel. It is only when they leave Egypt, only when they leave the territory where Yosef had been lord and ruler, and only through renewed weeping, that Yosef succeeds, that history succeeds, in sewing the pieces back together. End quote. The book of Joshua, then, concludes with the closing of the circle, because Joshua is truly the student of Moses. He truly seeks to live by his teacher's legacy. and. In ensuring the burial of Joseph, Joshua teaches Israel the importance of unity between brothers. Of course, this lesson will be lost, forgotten as the generations continue. But the ending of Joshua is poignant, beautiful, sublime. I do enjoy DeMille's The Ten Commandments. And while certain parts of the movie are funny today, I still remain moved when I watch the Exodus scene. But I think it would have been even more powerful had DeMille directed Charlton Heston himself as Moses to bear Joseph in the film. For it would have brought to the big screen one of Moses' most exhilarating acts of leadership, one which teaches us about Jewish bonds of brotherhood to this day. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.